What we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Aloha, my friend, and welcome to another episode from the WW Radio Archives. I am Lou Mangello, and this is show number 725. And each week, we're going to select an evergreen episode to share with you that maybe you haven't heard before, or that you haven't heard in a long time, from interviews to top tens, relevant reviews, guides, wayback machines, and more. It's a great way to visit or revisit some of our favorite episodes, including ones that you've suggested from the archives. We're also going to have some fun and experiment with this new episode in your feed, including maybe some top five, some solo segments, some Disney in a minute reviews and audio format, and of course, taking ideas and inspiration from you. But for this week on last night's WDW Radio live show, which you can find in the live archives on the WDWRadio.com website, on the Facebook page, or in the clubhouse at WDWRadio.com slash clubhouse, I brought you with me to and through Disney's Polynesian Village Resort for a walking tour at sunset. It was beautiful of the grounds and great ceremonial house. We also looked at and discussed the construction of the new Disney Vacation Club Tower. And I remarked how the idea of a tower at this location wasn't something that was new, but something that was planned from the very beginning. And early concepts for Disney's Polynesian Resort featured a 12-story tower before evolving into a more architecturally authentic village-type layout. So in the spirit of Aloha and the origins of Disney's Polynesian Village Resort, I went back into the archives this week to show number 111, where we boarded my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine and looked at the Polynesian through the years, at least up until 2009 when the episode first released. We turned back the clock to a time before Walt Disney World was even a vision in Walt's mind, and look how his personal interests influenced what would become the model for the theme resorts that would follow. We also explored the Polynesian Village through the years and looked at some of its additions, changes, and lost experiences. And I think it's also interesting to hear how we discussed what the resort was like today today being 2009, and then speculated as to what the future may hold, or should I say may have held, will we write? We'll see. I'd love for you to share your thoughts in the WW Radio Clubhouse and be part of the community and conversation at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Call the voicemail with your thoughts about the Polynesian at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. And I'll share your story on an upcoming show don't forget, you can also connect with me on Instagram. I am at Lou Mangello. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode from the archives on the WW Radio Show. This week, I wanted to dust off the old Wayback Machine and try something a little bit different. And rather than taking a single step back in time and looking at a location or the parks as a whole, I instead wanted to pick a single place and try and take a number of trips back through its history, from its beginnings to today, and maybe even a peek into the future. And many of you sent or called in great feedback about the Lost Resorts of the Magic Kingdom segment I did a few weeks ago, 
and many of you were fascinated by the history and what almost was. So I thought we would maybe hang around the lagoon a little bit longer and take a look at some of the early origins of a hotel that really helped to define what a theme resort would be for generations of guests to come, and that's Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. And when you say Polynesian, one name probably comes to mind, Don Ho. But since Mr. Ho is not available, I got the next best thing, and he is Steve Seifert, known as the Tiki Man. He runs the definitive Polynesian website called Tiki Man's unofficial Polynesian Resort page's website. So, Steve, <laughs> welcome back to the show, buddy. How you doing, Lou? Did you like how I called it Polynesian Village? Given you know, that's good stuff. Credit back to the to the old days. It is. I'm an old school Polynesian guy. Um, that's where we stayed back in the you know seventy one, seventy two, and when we first started going. So, that was the place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I've I've relatively fond memories since I was about three or four at the time, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, it, I wanted to have you back because we had a great time. We talked about the Polynesian at length way, way back when, when the show first started. But this time we wanted right. to look at it really not from a trip planning aspect, but really more from a historical perspective. And start out not just pre-Polynesian Village Resort, but pre-Walt Disney World and even pre-Disneyland. Because we want to look back at Walt Disney himself and his travels and how they lead to, you know, kind of what we see today, not just in the resort, but in the parks as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the best thing about the Polynesian is it hasn't changed much over the years other than becoming more current. But the important part is, is it kind of has the soul of what Walt wanted originally. And there's not too many resorts there that you can say really Walt got his hands on. Exactly. And, and it's, I think a lot of people don't realize, because when we talk about Walt Disney World, you know, people from Disneyland say, well, this is where Walt walked. And, and true, unfortunately, Walt didn't get to see his dream come true, but he did have very much a hand in it. And the Polynesian particularly had much more of a personal connection to Walt because of things he was doing literally decades before. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, he had such a fascination with Hawaii, and it, for me it was what brought that brought on that fascination that's what i wanted to find out and what kind of made him have such an important role in the ideas for the polynesian and and why it was so important for him to have that themed resort at disney world where he basically had a blank slate to start with whatever he wanted exactly and and talk about how you know trips that like i said started back in the 30s for walt ended up not just influencing we know an attraction in, in Walt Disney World and Disneyland, but obviously how, how that carried over um, and his, his original intent carried over to the Polynesian. Yeah, if you dial your Wayback Machine back to uh, 1934, you would end up, in a, if you were in Oahu, you would see a very different island than it is today. Less crowded, people had to take boats to get there. The the main hotel was the um, Royal Hawaiian um, it was kind of the spot for celebrities, and uh, and his first trip was in uh, on August tenth, uh, nineteen thirty four. Him and his wife uh, took a boat over to Oahu, and that was kind of them getting their first taste of the islands. And that from that then on, he was kind of hooked to the whole relaxed and tropical feel of um, having a vacation. For him, that was a vacation. Right, and we know the story about 
um, how some of that and some of his ideas for what would eventually become the Enchanted Tiki Room came from not just his fascination with audio animatronics, but the fact that he wanted it to be a restaurant. That, too, came from his own personal experiences in Hawaii, in some of these islands, visiting a lot of the, the old, old-time old supper clubs. Yeah, he was, um, I think, I, I never did find out if it was something that he attended um, before his trips to Hawaii, but I think the supper clubs were kind of big in the uh, 40s and 50s, and it was something that he had spent a lot of time going to, and he was, after, after the, the experiences he had at the different Polynesian supper clubs, he just had it stuck in his head that he was going to make the best Polynesian Supper Club that there was. And the project uh, started to evolve and get designed. It was going to be 225 robotic performers by a 14-channel magnetic tape feeding 100 separate speakers and controlling 438 separate actions. Um, This is eventually became the Tiki Room attraction because to try and design it into a restaurant with all the mechanisms and, and well, everything you see in the Tiki Room and have room for, you know, a kitchen and tables and place and a bar, it was just going to be too much in one place. So all of those ideas, instead of getting thrown away, ended up transforming into what we see as the Tiki Room now. Yeah. And if you actually go out to Disneyland and look at the difference in the way it's laid out versus the Walt Disney World version, you can almost get the sense of seeing how it would have been initially designed as a restaurant. Uh, and I think that I think the really cool thing too that as we talk about Walt and his influence and his love and his passion for this, how we're sort of coming full circle now with Disney building a vacation club resort in Hawaii. Oh, that's true. Yeah, now they're, for the first time you're going to have Disney um, in, the, in the state of uh, Hawaii on Oahu on the West Shore and that'll be very interesting to see how that turns out. I think it's a good way to continue on the, the tradition of the the kind of the Hawaiian theme as part of Disney. More importantly, Steve, this is screaming research trip for you and I. So. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Tiki Fest 2011 will be that's in right. Oh, See, I like how you think. I like how you think. I will be there. I'm RSVPing now. <laughs> so. so, yeah, well, I'm halfway there compared to you, so... Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll meet you there. That, you know, while it's easier now, it's a, it's a plane ride for me. It was a boat ride for Walt. So <laughs> that, uh, that's right. I mean, <laughs> it took him uh, five or six days to, to get there. So you obviously have to love the place to be able to, to take on that with not a whole lot to see in between. True. But, the, uh, you know, the, the best part about this love and fascination that he had that transformed into the Tiki Room. And, and I think that there used to even be, I remember a, um, a restaurant that was next to the Tiki Room that had um, kind of the luau dancers and, and Polynesian food that's uh, no longer a restaurant, but, but still there is kind of an empty spot in Disneyland. But um, a lot of those ideas, when he then started thinking about what he wanted in, in Disney World, um, they started drawing up um, cart- uh, they even had some of the cartoonists with uh, Mark Davis yeah. had done some of the uh, cartoons uh, that became the tikis um, that are used in the tiki room and if you look at a lot of the tikis that are in the tiki room and around the outside of the tiki room it's the same ones that you'll find um, at the Polynesian so a lot of that has that that whole flavor is kind of what started the feel for the Polynesian resort or right. the Polynesian village resort thank you very much <laughs> Yeah, and, and Rolly Crump again legendary Imagineer also had a hand in, in helping to design a lot of these things. Uh, That's right. Not just bringing in, you know, their visions, but that, that I mean, we got to remember, 
and this is obviously before my time, but back in the 50s and the 60s, there was this tiki craze. I mean, there was a huge pop culture phenomenon, but you can definitely sense, if you if you know or are familiar with Rolly's work, you can sense his and Mark Davis's designs that en- ended up coming into Disney World's Polynesian. That's very true. Uh, and, and the interesting part is a lot of this um, connection with Hawaii for Walt, uh, there's very little of it is written in Disney books or Disney history books, but there's uh, qu- quite a bit of it I've found in books about tiki and the tiki culture, and and it's it's funny that it's kind of been left out of the the Disney history as much as it's had such a role in now the rides and and a resort. True, and and one thing too, and we know this with everything that Disney does, is the level of authenticity that they wanted to get even early on you know early on was very very important to them to get that authentic look and feel and everything they did from the layout to the longhouses to the signage around the resort as well yeah it's um it's funny that you hear a lot that people think it's um it is kind of tiki bar or 70s but if you really look they paid i mean just like with everything disney does they research and they pay attention to the details and while people might not think it's authentic a lot of the stuff around there really is not only looks the way that uh it represents something from an island but uh, like you say the signs and the tiki's um that were originally at the polynesian were carved by um, oceanic arts here in california which were are still famous i mean they're still open and they're famous for doing tiki's they're one of the last places that has survived uh the kind of the death of the tiki craze and and now it's kind of coming back to life but they're still around and, and they do it the the authentic way they don't just mass produce these these tiki's and they made all all the signs were all hand carved and the tiki's were all hand carved for the polynesian so it was very authentic and if you think about what the original concept was going to be for the polynesian remember it wasn't going to look the way it does now <laughs> it was this 12 story i mean it was a high rise you know very relatively mo- i mean the modern shaped building um sort of a, with a, a large slope and an angle down the side they must have this epiphany and realize that, that that is not the way to do it. They have this now central ceremonial house and then the long houses around it, which I think we both agree probably works a little bit better. Yeah, I think uh, that it's interesting how drastically it changed. Um, it was going to kind of have the almost like a um, representing what you would see in a modern day resort in Hawaii at that time, which would have been kind of more of a modern, larger uh, building with surrounded by some huts that were maybe more exclusive rooms out along the beach area, and it, it's it's interesting that that idea just kind of went by the wayside and, and it turned into what it was. Which I think, in a way, it, it probably ended up better. I don't know that the original theme would have held up as well uh, throughout the years as what they ended up doing for the Polynesian when they when they built it. Right. Well, when we talk to about the story of Walt Disney World and the story how it's it's brought into everything in, in the Magic Kingdom. I think part of it too was the new design that they ended up going with it is more of a coupling of the theme between the resort and near you know Adventureland, which is off in the distance, but geographically close to where the Polynesian is, much as the contemporary reflects Tomorrowland, the Grand Floridian re- uh, reflects Victorian era Main Street USA. <coughs> Right. Um, well, of course, if they would have built the Asian there, that would have really thrown off the theme altogether. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, 
that that's one of the things that I think I really enjoy about the Polynesian is it gives me that adventure land feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not people think that's you know too cartoonish and not representative of, of of a true Polynesian resort, I think it has a great mix of both. I think it has that little bit of a Disney flavor, but a lot of authenticity to um, you know the buildings and the structures that are there. And I think. You know, and off the top of my head, I can't think of any other resort on property where you walk through those doors and you feel as though you no longer in okay, maybe Wilderness Lodge, but you are no longer <laughs> in you know Central Florida, but you are you know you're not on the mainland. You are now on some tropical island somewhere else, and you even get that feel as you walk the grounds. You know, you, you even I can remember. I still remember the first time that I was there. And I had taken the monorail around and I was, you know, as a kid, the contemporary was just amazing. It was something I always wanted to stay in. But I remember coming back, we were either going to the park or coming back and stopping and picking up passengers from the Polynesian and then the doors opened up. And even from that distance, with with the palm trees out around the, the monorail and looking into the lobby from even from the monorail, it really did have a, a different feel, almost like you weren't, you, you were somewhere else. And And I think that's really a big part of it for people. They're not just pulling up to a hotel where you see the outside of a building. You just really feel engulfed in the theme. And Steve, you back me up on this one. I've, I've talked about this before. You know, it's, there's like a smell. You know, there's a smell when you walk into the Polynesian and maybe it's because of the waterfalls outside, but it's it's part of that immersive experience, like you said, that you're hit with the second you, you walk up to it, not even before you walk in through the doors. There is, absolutely. Um, some people say they don't like it. Some people, uh, they, they love it. Um, it's, it is. It's that atrium. It's that water. It's that, well, I, can't, I was going to say humid, but I guess all of Florida is humid. <laughs> but this is a good <laughs> but humid. But it, it really is. And, you know, it's amazing. I can come home and, and my bag will still smell like it. And, 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 you know, I'll just have to kind of keep it out. So I feel like I'm at the Polynesian <laughs> for another week. But, um, yeah, the, there really is a, a distinctive smell. Uh, especially to the lobby, and and it really is. It's all the it's it's the, the the plants that fill the atrium, and it's and it's the waterfalls out front that kind of all come together and and give you that that smell, that distinctive Polynesian smell. See, thank you. I know I knew I wasn't crazy. So, but um, well, I didn't say you were cra- weren't crazy, but well, I'll agree with not you about on this, part. right? Yeah. So, all right, let's um let's let's fast forward the machine just a little bit because um, let's go to October first, seventy one. The Polynesian and the Contemporary are the only two resorts that open, and I say simultaneously in quotation marks because technically one opened before the other. And uh, there's an interesting story, too, behind the, the uh, first official day of opening of the Polynesian. That's right, and you, and, and you can help me out with that a little bit. Um, it uh, was originally planned for the Contemporary, which I, that, that was supposed to be the flagship resort of the, of the two opening um, was supposed to open ahead of time, and, and the and the press was supposed to stay there, but because of um, delays in setting up the rooms, um, which we all know now were originally kind of plugged into place um, with all the uh, fixtures and carpet and pipe, everything ready to go, didn't quite uh, match up too well in the contemporary. And I guess they they must have uh, had a be- better success with uh, getting the rooms in and ready along with the rest of the resort at the Polynesian. So they kind of did a, a mad switch to uh, the Polynesian to have the uh, press end up staying there. The on So it basically opened hours before the uh, the contemporary did. 
officially it was the first one to open. Right. And and Charlie Ridgeway uh, retells a, a great story. Um, he was obviously in charge of publicity at the time. And they have all this press coming in. You know, obviously, this is a huge thing. You know, the, the first theme park outside of Anaheim, the press is coming in. There's about 500 rooms at the Polynesian. Not even 100 of them are ready yet. So they decide to have the press office at the Polynesian. September 30th, it's 11 o'clock at night. He's running around, and it's a mess. I mean, there's no carpeting, no wallpaper. There's bare light bulbs. There's, you know, people sawing and hammering and doing everything else. And he has to leave because he's staying. Even Charlie has to stay off-site. He's got to stay at the Hilton (laughs) on Sand Lake Road or somewhere around there. They don't wake him up on time. So he flips. He flies out to the Polynesian, running late, expecting there to just be mass chaos. He walks in. There's beautiful chandeliers. All the wallpaper is hung. The carpet's on the floors. Phones are ringing. Everything, everybody's connected. And the newspaper guys are standing there, you know, drinking coffee, eating their pastries, looking at, you know, <laughs> Charlie saying, okay, you know, let's go. Let's get started <laughs> with yeah. going on. You know, it was, a, it was truly, it was a construction site four hours before and then it was it was the flagship resort, uh, it, you know, at on October first, right? Yeah, and they didn't realize that the the glue was still wet on the wallpaper, but it all looked <laughs> right. good. Um, yeah, and and I remember um, hearing him talk about that, and it seemed like uh, he was really amazed at how well they got everything together, and uh, in su- in such a short time, and almost like it had been ready for weeks. Um, and and it's interesting that the contemporary kind of became the flagship because um, at the time and, and, and prior to Walt's passing when they were kind of selecting where the different resorts would go, the Polynesian was somewhat considered the prime, I, I saw a document where it was labeled the prime acreage overlooking the castle and um, including four beautiful beaches. So it was kind of lined up just with that perfect view right at the castle. Granted, it's not as close as the contemporary, which the contemporary has beautiful views too, but it really just kind of set a perfect backdrop and it just set it far enough back that, like you say, it kind of feels like it's almost, especially at that time, like it was alone mm-hmm. on its own, kind of on its on a, a, desert, a deserted tropical island. Um, and of course, now the, the it's been crowded out by other resorts, but uh, it must have just been an amazing site back then when there was really not much else around it. True. And we, look, we talk about location, 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 and, and all these amenities and all these things that the Polynesian have. Yet, like you said, the Contemporary was the flagship resort. And you wonder, was it a combination of the fact that the Contemporary used these very modern techniques for a very modern hotel and or the fact that maybe people weren't ready to buy into such a dramatically themed resort? Because that's not what was being built everywhere else. I mean, they were just normal hotels, the, the 12-story high-rises. And here's something where it's that immersive experience that Disney is going to take a gamble and obviously revolutionize the the hotel industry by doing. That's true. I mean, even if you um, go to uh, a lot of Hawaiian uh, hotels, resorts, uh, there was very few that were themed that that well. Um, they were they were much more modern than than the Polynesian has ever been. Um, the nice thing is the the Polynesian has that authentic and you know, older Polynesian look, but it still has kind of the, the modern amenities and always and has always kept up on those amenities throughout the years. And it's funny. I, I laugh when you say modern look because when you look back at old pictures and you see 
the oranges and the browns and that very 70s look <laughs> to, to yeah. the Polynesian. But at the time, it, it was it was it was modern and it had a lot of uh, it had a lot of wonderful great amenities. I got four words for you: Trader Jack's Grog Hut. Is there ever <laughs> been a better name for a shop in a Disney resort? <laughs> I don't think they had very much grog in there, though. That's the only problem. <laughs> and I've been corrected to make sure that I pronounce the Papiette Bay Veranda. Tell you're the you're the tiki guy. What's the correct? That, pre- that's that's the capital of Tahiti. Uh, pe- Papiette. <laughs> oh, Hana is just so much easier to say, isn't it? <laughs> so. yeah, for some people, they just can't spell it. Right. <laughs> so, but before we move a little bit farther along to some of the changes maybe that that took place there were some things that maybe weren't there opening day but were there very early on that definitely bear mentioning and first and foremost i think a lot of us probably know about the old wave making machine off beachcomber isle which is the island that you can see uh, right off the beach and people wasn't there for very long but they actually had this this wave making machine so that people could participate and swim in the seven seas lagoon that's right. They um, they did try and experiment with having a wave machine that would not only uh, it, its original the original theory behind it was it would give the sound of crashing waves. So kind of add that noise in the background as you you walk the beach and and around the resort. And there's theories that they were trying to make it large enough waves to surf on. Others I've talked to that were around then said, no way, no how. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. Um, and it, it didn't last very long. It was actually almost – some people like to theorize that it was on for a while. And um, it really was almost shut down immediately because it started to erode the beach um, right away after it was uh, put into into place and into action. Um, they, I guess they tried to – revive it again in the in the later 70s i want to say 75 was it 75 trying to look at my own site for this stuff um (laughs) sometimes i gotta read it too uh but uh uh, again it it, they just couldn't get it set up to to work properly it it actually would have uh, been pointed more towards uh the beach that's now um where luau cove is um located um but uh, yeah, unfortunately, that was something that that just just didn't make it. Um, I guess Disney couldn't come out up with magical sand that wouldn't erode. <laughs> and the other thing too that that always fascinated me about the Polynesian was the very unique variety of watercraft. There was the giant water, uh, the war canoe. There's this forty foot war canoe again that guests could rent out, take um, onto the lagoon. Very unique. I unfortunately never had a chance to personally get into a bob-around boat. <laughs> and you know, so far, I've never even seen a picture of one. I've seen one picture. I, there's like one picture that floats around the internet, and um, and it is not me in it, because I never had a chance to do it. <laughs> and but they and were supposedly very, it had a stereo system yeah, in it, too. Yeah, I mean, again, very unique. They were sort of these round, giant tubs with a, an umbrella on top. Um, how you steered it, I have no idea. There's very, very little information <laughs> about bob around boats. I'd love it if a listener happened to be in one and can remember. I'd, I'd love to hear some more detail. But I think the um, the one that was most interesting to me, and actually was a trivia question a couple weeks ago, was the Eastern Winds, which was a real oh, yes. Chinese junk. Chinese junk, yep. 65 foot. Um, used to have um, uh, cocktails, 
cocktail lounge on it. And I even recently, at, at first I thought maybe they just sat there, you know, docked and people kind of enjoyed being on the boat and having cocktails. Um, but I, I had seen pictures somewhere where they actually sailed it out to um, the islands at the time. Yeah, and you can you can go out just for a cruise. You could get right. bar service. You could have food. You could make it a full. I mean, you can get a full crew compliment out there for. And I think the coolest thing is that is that Broadway Joe, Broadway Joe Namath, actually supposedly, <laughs> I don't know if that's urban legend or not, but uh, bought the Eastern Winds and what he did with. Oh, I think I, I that's right off of eBay, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I did. I did hear that too. So, it'd be interesting to see where he put it, and, and I'd be interested to know where it is now, and if maybe the current owner knows, you know, its uh, its legacy as being part of the Polynesian. But um, let's fast forward a little bit more. Take a couple of quick hops uh, on the wayback machine because since it's opening, obviously, like all the resorts, it's gone through some change. It's gone through some expansion, um, and, and I guess really the first kind of major change as far as from a guest perspective might be might be in 73 when they like you said when they built luau cove yeah that's true um before that and for the um well the official grand opening of the resort was october 24th 1971 which is my wife's exact birthday day and year and no that's not why i married her but it helped but they um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it did it did that was part that was on her resume so um but they ha- they brought in dancers from I mean, you can actually see these on YouTube the the opening ceremonies they had dancers from all the different uh, Polynesian islands and they had a huge ceremony out on the beach and I guess part of that lasted they would have kind of a the luau without the dinner um, out on the beach um, at night because Luau Cove hadn't been constructed so they finally said well let's make this a show a dinner show and let's have a place to put this and so they constructed what is now Luau Cove. That must have been, again, that's something I wish I could have gotten a chance to see is the authentic luau on the beach. You know, you have Cinderella Castle in the distance, and, and that just must have been something special. Yeah, even the um, the electric water pageant was designed for the opening ceremonies of the Polynesian. And to this day, you know, with um, it's evolved over the years, the soundtrack's evolved over the years, but it's still basically what was made for that opening ceremonies. So let's go. Let's jump forward about five years or so, because Walt Disney World doing very, very well. Obviously, first of, of I guess two really major expansions come to the Polynesian Village. Yeah, um, Tokelau, which was um, Oahu back then when it opened, Longhouse was kind of it was unique because um, it was not the original construction, which was. Um, the buildings you see, uh, the original ones had the no balconies on the second floor, and they were the original uh, slid-in rooms. Um, and when uh, Tokelau opened up in uh, 1975, 1975, no, I'm sorry, 1985. Okay. Is that right? Tokelau was yeah. 78. No, 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 I'm 78. sorry. 78. 78, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it was kind of, it was going to be the prototype for what they would do for any further expansions the uh, rooms were large that they they were you know constructed in the building the hallways were larger the rooms themselves uh were quite a bit larger um it added on um 144 rooms so it was actually the largest longhouse there at the time 
uh, it unfortunately uh, removed uh, some people liked they had a, um, a golf course, a miniature kind of a putting green um, just where the uh, East Pool or the Quiet Pool is now. And of course, that had to go away um, during that construction. Um, the And when that building was built, it had a couple of different rooms in it. They kind of did um, experimental rooms. They had some that had double sinks and they had some that had sinks outside of the uh, bathroom area and um, all this was the first time they would have balconies on all the upper floors um, so it was kind of their their test bed for what the future rooms would look like at the Polynesian right and, and originally the the original rooms and longhouses didn't have the balconies because that was meant to emulate a, a traditional Hawaiian longhouse is that was that the reason why yeah that's the that's the theory behind it. Um, I wonder how much that really flies. I, I think that I think that's the truth behind it. Uh, um, when they first designed it, now you got to wonder why did they put the balconies on the on the third floor? Right. But uh, but I think they got smart and they decided that it was time to put balconies on all the rooms that didn't have a patio. Right, and some other changes um, happened as well. The there's there were the old names and then there were the new names. Like for example. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong. Tonga was renamed Hawaii. Uh, Bali High was renamed Tonga. That those name changes start taking place. They will take place over the next couple of years. Uh, quick jump, eighty-five. They now add Tahiti and Rapa Nui. Ninety-five. We now get um, the veranda now becomes Ohana. But ninety-six is, is this is another sort of milestone because you get a, a not a construction thing, but more of a facelift, as it were. Yeah, 96 was, um, they had, in the mid to late 90s, they had a general manager, uh, Clyde Min, that was very, he was he was from the islands. He wanted to kind of start a whole new feel and philosophy for the resort. And it kind of started with purging out the remains of the evolution of the rooms and the and the uh, great ceremonial house from its 70s and 80s look, um, they kind of went with more of the earth tones. They got rid of the teal and yellow tiles in the great ceremonial house and put in um, the rock that you see now on the floor. Uh, the rooms got a transformation with more authentic um, patterns on the beds and the bamboo rails and. Uh, the the thatched cover over the over the bed, and it and it was really it was really a big change for them. Um, and like I said, it also became um, a big philosophy. They had a, a, a they started with a, a cultural awareness called the Magic of Polynesia, and this is something I'm recently finding out about, and I've been getting some documents on. And it's amazing that it would kind of became the model for many of the resorts. Uh, the, the Polynesian was always kind of a test bed for things. But it was this was kind of the f- introduction to this culture that was kind of the way it was a it was a way that you were going to treat the guests and how you were going to treat each other as, a co- as co-workers. And it was just kind of that whole aloha feel to the resort and their and their staff. Right. And and it really it transcended just the look of the resort for maybe that 70s Brady Bunch, Greg Ware and the Tiki Idol kind of look right. to a real authentic, you know, by, by bringing in this authentic. And again. Like I said, that that spirit of aloha, that that sense that you get when you are welcomed into the into the resort now, carries over back from uh, the mid to late '90s. That's right. Uh, 
jumping forward a little bit, uh, the Millennium 2001, uh, again, there's construction that takes place because there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of problems with some of the original longhouse buildings. Yeah, big, big changes. Um, you know, certain things were put off because because of budgets and maybe not knowing what to do about them. Um, that started with uh, the original longhouses, since they were modular. They had gaps below the the especially the ground floor rooms and in between the walls and. In some cases, in some of the buildings, you'd kind of have, we talk about the smell, but it's not the good smell that we associate with the Polynesian. It's more of a kind of a musty smell. It would get into uh, and around the, the buildings from the trap moisture. So they decided it's time to, they wanted to gear up for a, another new renovation. But before that, they were going to kind of redo the, the original uh, longhouses. So they, they went through, they gutted the rooms, they filled it all in with cement um, redid you know the the flooring and the walls and and got them kind of back to kind of their pristine um, look and feel. Um, even though the at that time the look hadn't really changed from what they had changed it to in the 90s, but then they had bigger plans for the millennium, um, starting with the uh, the removal of the old pool, um, which kind of in interestingly enough originally had a, a diving board that didn't last very long <laughs> but uh, uh, many like that pool but uh, I think most people will agree that the, the new volcano pool and slide are, are a big improvement along with the, the zero entry and then that then transformed into a, uh, an increased budget for redoing almost everything you look at a lot of people say that the Polynesian looks old but they removed everything they removed pieces of the roofs they removed the wood exteriors they piece piece by piece and bit by bit of all those buildings and most of the grounds in the in the new millennium were pretty much removed and replaced and and of course that led into the the design we see now in the rooms with the flat panel TVs and all the new furniture um, a lot of that furniture which was was hand done and, and shipped in from overseas um, was then transformed in the around 2005 is when they started that that look uh, change to the look. Right. So you know they get the infrastructure in place. They they take care of all that. Then we get this update, which while being more modern, I, I stayed in there a few weeks ago uh, for just one night. Is you still get that authentic Hawaiian feel, even though there's a plasma TV on the wall, um, the decor, even the <laughs> bathrooms and the entranceway. Um, it, it's not a contemporary, you know, resort type of feel, but it's a more modern Hawaiian style feel. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, people can go to my site and look at some of the. Um, I have pictures of the the test rooms, and um, they had some experimental doors. It, it's the same thing they go through with every big redesign, but it's kind of neat to see the different thoughts that they had for the different curtains and the and the different patterns and the wall textures and um and even one year when we stayed in um uh, the room we usually always stay in in hawaii they had tried uh, instead of the wallpaper that you see now they tried kind of a um a putty textured kind of a a tan wall that was kind of i thought it was kind of a, a neat uh, change to the room but they they really took a lot of time and thought to making it like you said updated but not lose the the feel of the resort mm -hmm. right and you even see that too in the great ceremonial house again they, they sort of took out everything that was old is new again you know they brought in boutique they brought in the wyland gallery um they they opened up captain redid, cooks yeah redid captain cooks um 
and and it's 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 beautiful and it's it's um it still sort of conveys that same feel that you get you don't lose anything like that it, it hasn't been they haven't gotten away from that original intent that I think like as we said started back in the the mid to late 90s yeah that that's right and and um I think if anything the 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 look is is really evolving well at the resort I mean there's I don't ever really see them do a big change like that and just you just stand back and cringe. I think they've always really been thoughtful and understand the history behind the resort and really come up with good ways of evolving it without it being, you know, kind of getting away from its its tradition. All right, so Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you in the in the driver's seat. And I don't let anybody just drive the Wayback Machine, but I'm going to put you <laughs> and I'll and I'll let you sort of fast forward a little bit and sort of ask you, what do you think the future might hold for the Polynesian or what do you think might be coming or what is something maybe you would like to see added or changed about the resort? Well, what I think's coming uh, is probably something that we've all talked about and all heard of. And that's probably DVC. I hear as many people say no, as I hear say yes. So that'll be interesting because I think they'll have to remove many of the rooms and and have less to have the DVC there. So that'll be curious to see if that happens. What I would like to see happen. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's hard. I don't like, I mean, I, I, like I say, I like the changes, but I wouldn't want to see it change much. A, a, a lot of the little things that I can think of that need to change are are, are just small things and it's just me it's just me being picky because I, I see so much of the resort kind of so up close and every last little detail that I, I can see things that if I was there in charge of things I would kind of tweak this or tweak that but I really would hope that it never gets away from kind of the original idea for the resort uh, Steve as always uh, I have such a good time doing this with you I love sort of looking way back at uh, the old Polynesian. So thank you very much. 